Tenekoto, Namai, Hairamai. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Walk in the Shadowlands podcast. Let me be your guide as we take a walk into the realms of the unexplained, of the paranormal, of things that go bump in the night and haunt your dreams. Your hosts. I'm Marianne. Thanks so much for joining me today, tonight, whatever time it is, wherever you're living in this beautiful world of ours. Sit back, relax, let me be your guide as we walk into the Shadowlands together and see what awaits us there. Welcome. If this is your first time at Walking the Shadowlands, thanks for choosing to listen to us. Reincarnation, transmitigation of the soul, rebirth, metempsychosis, psychosis, samsara, transanimation or past lives are now for the most part mainstream in all the media and at the very least known by most peoples worldwide. In order to understand reincarnation, it's necessary to have at least the understanding, or some would say belief, that this body we currently inhabit is not who we are, that we are all spiritual beings having a human experience, that this body we use is a bit like a car that we drive that takes us from one place to another to experience something, to work on something, or to learn something that once that car is all worn out and or no longer functional for our needs, then that vehicle is discarded and we obtain another one and another one. For most of us, though, we don't give that old car more than a passing thought, if indeed we remember it at all, because our current car has all our focus and attention. It serves our current needs and purposes. However, sometimes our past lives, for whatever reason, bleed through into our present ones. Whether that's in the form of a very strong draw to a specific culture or time period, whether that's due to flashbacks in the forms of dreams or waking visions, or whether that is in the form of extreme phobias that have no origin in this reality. When this happens, it can impact our day-to-day lives here, sometimes, as in the case of severe phobias, crippling us even. Today's guest works specifically in the area of helping people to come to terms with phobias and past life memory bleed-throughs in the form of past life regression therapy. He uses hypnosis to help unblock and release these traumas. So... Are you willing to walk with me into this part of the Shadowlands and see what awaits us there? Then let's begin. Simon Garfield Brown has a diploma in clinical hypnotherapy with the UK National Council for Hypnotherapy. He's certified in past life regression therapy with the Past Life Awakening Institute and is a member of the International Practitioners of Holistic Medicine. He has a fascination with the idea that consciousness is not a product 
of the physical brain, but exists apart from it. And the brain acts as some kind of receiver of consciousness, perhaps like a radio is the receiver of a radio signal. Simon started reading books on the paranormal before he was in high school. He's always loved to learn about ghosts, UFOs, mediumship and any other subject that was supernatural. His interest then moved to the evidence of the afterlife when he read Dr. Raymond Moody's book, Life After Life. He became more focused on the evidence side of the subject matter. He took part in his first past life regression in 1987 at the College of Psychic Studies in London. This had a profound effect on him and really started him on his life's work in past life regression therapy. Simon's had his own paranormal experiences, including psychic flashes, UFO sightings, and a number of strange events not easily explained. He's also a podcaster and has produced well over a 100 podcast episodes. When not working, he has many interests, including playing bass guitar for over 35 years and writing science fiction stories. My guest is Simon Garfield Brown. Simon, thank you very much for joining us today. I've, since I came across you, I've been really interested in talking with you about the topics that you cover about your work as a, as a hypnotherapist. Perhaps you could tell my listeners what it is precisely that you do and how you got into your work. Well, I, I just specialize in past life regression now. 
And I do a session, if somebody wants to just do exploration, which is what I wanted to do, then we do that. But I do past life regression therapy, which can be really effective. But uh, I've always had an interest in paranormal, supernatural stuff. And that kind of led me through to going to the College of Psychic Studies in London in the 80s. And that wasn't that I was a student, but they had there was they would teach um, mediumship and all sorts of things like clairvoyance and channeling and uh, past life regression, I suppose. And I, I went there regularly and I'd pay to see a medium or a student medium. And one of the things I did was a past life regression and it was really effective and really powerful. And so that kind of uh, led me on later to study to be a clinical hypnotherapist myself. And it was quite an extensive course that I did over 10 months. But um, going back like, to the 80s when I did that past life regression, it was uh, very interesting to suddenly find yourself almost in this different body and having this different viewpoint and also the emotions that come through and in a way you can almost feel the clothes that you're wearing as well. So it, it's, uh, it did stand out to me quite a lot. And also mediums would say to me, because I, I've been visiting mediums for ages, I don't have any talent in that direction myself, but they'd say to me, Yo, later in your life, you're going to become a healer. And I thought, no, I can't see that happening. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, here I am, but it did, did I become a hypnotherapist because they said that or did they genuinely see something, you know, a premonition of the future for me? It's, That's a good you, question. you just don't know. Mm. Yeah. Mm, so, a, yeah. Sorry. So the, one of the things I love about um, the past life regression and other things that I cover in my podcast is this kind of uh, verification that you might get, you know, people, do go into past life regression and see past lives and are able to prove that those past lives are real. Just like with near-death experiences, people will see things mm. while they're having their experience and they can later verify that, you know, they saw this thing and the, the doctors might say, yeah, but you were dead. You couldn't have seen that. And they said, no, I, I traveled down the hospital corridor and I saw this thing happening. And right. uh, so when I did this past life regression, Straight away, the first thing I saw was that I was a, a little girl about six years old in a park in North London. And for some reason, I just knew it was 1895 and I was playing on the grass and there was I could see a mother there and a man who was the father. And I knew that my little brother was in this uh, pram that the, the woman was pushing and there was a dog running around. And it was a pretty weird park. It was on a really steep slope. And, you know, if you were a town planner and you were putting a, an area together, you wouldn't look at this slope and think, ah, oh, that's where we'll put the park. That's a good place to have it. But it was a couple of years later, I, I went into this part of North London. I'd never been there before. And there was the park on this really steep slope. And it, it was almost exactly as I saw it. And wow. all the houses around the park in the area were exactly those houses that I saw in this past life regression, because part of it, I was outside the house and going through the front door. And so I could see what they were like. And that, you know, was some kind of powerful verification for me that this past life 
was could be real, you know. And another thing was the man that was my father, I just somehow knew that I know him in this life and my best friend in this life was my father in my past life, that previous life. Uh, and they do and that, say, for, uh, sorry to interrupt, for listeners who may be listening in a, in a, and are unaware, it's very common for people to reincarnate with people they knew from past lives in various various ways. Like in in um, Simon's case, his father is now his best friend, and yet in a, a life prior to that, his father might have been his brother. Yeah, yeah. There's there's these connections, and this leads through to work that was brought up, started by Michael Newton, where he would take people into the space between lives and you would see there are groups of souls that work together life after life to mm. help each other, you know, if you have to learn some kind of a lesson. But with that that past life, I saw that that, that person that I, I think I was, I might have been, I'm still pretty sceptical of everything I, I look at. And, I'm, I, you know, right. you've got to keep an open mind, but don't throw everything analytical and logical out mm, you know and mm. just accept everything but i went on to see that life as a nurse in the first world war in france oh, wow. and uh looking after all these soldiers and that was say 1987 i did that past life regression and then i did another one like i've done others since then but i did another one recently of just a couple of years ago and i went back to that life again but I was much older and I was living in London and I was married and I was with this man that was really quite domineering. And uh, he had this kind of attitude, you know, woman's places in the home, <laughs> you right. do the cooking and the cleaning. And I remember it, it was so weird in this past life regression that I got really angry. You know, it was like he was treating me like I was just pathetic and useless and weak. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about that time in France, those months, and all these soldiers coming in from the front line with maybe their legs missing and their arm blown off and all this and the franticness and the running around and looking after those soldiers and this feeling of, you know, looking at this husband in this past life regression and thinking to myself, you, you don't know me, you, you don't know what I'm capable of, you don't know how strong I am, you don't know what I had to do in the war when we were looking after all those soldiers. And it's one of the things that comes up in past life regression is the emotion. Mm -hmm. And you, you might say people are just imagining it or fantasizing or something. But I, I don't see that the emotion can be so powerful if you're just making it up because, you know, we all daydream about all mm. sorts of things, but you don't get that intensity. And so I see this when I take people through past life regressions. Occasionally people can get really tearful and the emotions can be really powerful. And in some ways that's where you can do the therapy because there's a great emotional release and energy release. And it's like you're connected to a past life that's bringing through something that's negative, has right. a negative impact in this life. And you can have a cathartic release of this negative energy and you can break that connection to the previous life. Right. So, yeah, go on. So that actually brings me to a point that I was just writing down. 
with the way you found that you were treated as a woman in that life, has that influenced the way you treat women in this life, do you think? I don't think so. I think uh, my whole life I've been... I suppose you, what you, when I was smaller, when, you know, I think, uh, you know, something my mum said, it was a very sensitive boy is what she said. And I don't know if you would say it's part of being emp- empathic, empathetic. Yes, yes. And uh, um, I've never, I was, I was never brought up to be this kind of tough guy male who, who would treat women badly. Mm-hmm. I've always been... Um, I don't know. It's it's just like my wife. We're all I've been I've known her since I was 15. Wow. We've been together for so many years, but still today, every day, we're worried about each other and hoping that the other one's okay oh. and looking after each other. And I've been like that my whole life. And I've always, I suppose, treated people around me like that. And I don't know if that makes me, you know, how I fell into being a hypnotherapist, the kind of help trying to help people because I keep my prices low because I want to make it available to as many people as possible. Right. So, uh, yeah, I don't think that that did affect me. I've, I've seen other past lives and which have made, you know, they, they kind of open your, your mind to things that you mm. wouldn't have experienced. Cause it's like I was saying in that past life where I saw myself as a nurse mm. in the first world war, I remember there was a, a scene that I saw where soldiers were coming into this huge tent and it was lit with uh, gaslight lamps and there could have been 20 beds either side, not right. beds like camp beds, yeah. and all these men that were hurt and I was rushing around trying to help them. And I was wearing this nurse's uniform and there were these long skirts to the ground and and I remember feeling this kind of, it was like frustration and anger of, of sort of, oh, why do we have to wear these long skirts? And, you know, as, as a man who's never, you know, dresses like that, yeah. that was some kind of insight that I've never had before. And it was interesting that what I felt was not just like I'm realizing it now. It was it was almost a feeling of I've, I've, been, I've had this frustration and anger for months or years. It was like an old thing that had come over me. So it was it, and there was another time another past life regression where I saw myself as a woman in Italy about 30 years old and uh, it was her wedding and she was wearing this wedding dress and I it was almost like I could feel it and it was in the 17th century and it was very tight around the torso and then flared around the legs and it's like if you tapped your knuckles against the torso it made a hard knocking sound oh wow the corsets right and I and I could really feel that tightness and that how hard it was, even though I was lying back in a, a comfy chair while I was being taken through it. And so there's, there's some more insight there, you know, and, and to these uh, feelings that I've never had before and, and I would never have thought of being, you know, the life I've had. Right. I, I guess the point that I was trying to make is, is that because of how you were treated in that life where you saw yourself as the nurse, you came through into this life with those qualities of compassion, of empathy. You brought that with you is what I'm saying, and it's affected you your whole life in the way you treat not you treat other people generally. 
Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's a, a thought I've had, because, you know, it's been so many years that I've been reading these books and I've been looking into these things and I've produced now 169 podcast episodes <laughs> and each one's an hour long interview and just about every guest has published a book and I read the books to work out which questions I'm going to ask. So I've read that many books as well. And there's this idea that maybe souls are being created constantly, that they weren't all created at one point. And so you have young souls and you have old souls. And this idea that the younger souls, they've only lived one or two lives. And when you reincarnate through hundreds of lives, you'll live life as male and female, as, you know, in different parts of the world, different ethnicities, and uh, you may be gay or straight, you know, and all, all these mm -hmm. different lives. And because you experience, you know, being picked on and bullied for perhaps the color of your skin or your sexuality, when you incarnate in later lives, it's almost like that's in the background. You know what it's like to be treated that badly because of that thing. Right. So you won't treat people like that. Right. And it's the, so when, when I see somebody who's nasty and bully and is selfish and arrogant, I think they're, that's a young soul. They don't understand. They haven't experienced it from the other side. They don't know what it's like to be treated like that. Anyway, it's just a theory I had. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting theory. Uh, I'm not entirely sure that I agree with the young soul, old soul thing. I'm not pointing at you specifically because people can use that to stigmatize others. You know what I mean? And in the, in the greater spiritual community it's often used to put people down or oh, he's just behaving like that because he's a young soul or she she's yeah. unevolved so she needs to do more growing you know I'm not saying that's in your case I'm just saying that's that's my perspective on it but having said that certainly we come into into each life learning different lessons and we don't always recall well most of us don't recall past lives sometimes we have spontaneous recollection I before we had this interview I told you about one but there's another one that I haven't told you about that actually involved another person and this was a, a gentleman that I had been speaking with for some time. We met in the days when there were forums, and I'm an artist. I sculpt and I paint and I do stuff like that, and I'd met him in this art forum, and we got very, very close over a period of time. Then one day I was, I don't know what I was doing, and all of a sudden I had this clear as vision in my mind of him and I together in a past life. We were... Native peoples in a, in a particular land, I won't say which land, and we were due to have been married. And I saw him being killed. He was shot uh, by an arrow right above his chest. And I knew, I just knew that he had a birthmark there where he was shot. So the next time I was there, and it really shook me because this, you know, like just came out of the blue, out of nowhere. And so next time we spoke, I said to him, hey, Joe, do you have this? Do you have, This is a really strange question, I know. But do you have a birthmark above your heart that's kind of shaped like this and about this far you know, above your nipple? And he said, oh, my God, how did you know that? How did you know that? How could you have known that? And, and so I said to, I explained to him what I saw 
and what I had experienced and what I remembered. And yeah, so long story short, we got married sometime later. And <laughs> yeah, and we talked about that quite often. Yeah, and that's uh, a fascinating thing, um, you know, because uh, Dr. Ian Stevenson did a lot of research into children with past life memories. And I've got one of his books. It's called Where Reincarnation and Biology Interact. And that that's the whole thing of that book. That's all that book is about. It's all these children with these birthmarks and mm-hmm. deformities. And, uh, you know, it's like that that thing, that boy would remember a past life where he was murdered. And the, Ian Stevenson was able to get hold of the autopsy report from the yes. previous life and see the... The wounds are exactly the same as the birthmarks. And yeah. there's a, a girl who remembers being a Japanese soldier that was captured by in, in Burma and tied to a tree and executed. And she's got these deformities on her arms that look just like rope marks from being tied up. And then there's a boy who remembers being an American bomber pilot uh, flying over Burma and getting shot down. And if you see a picture of him now, he's this boy, I mean, ethnically he's Burmese, but he has white skin and blonde hair and blue eyes. And, you know, that that's interesting how this stuff comes through from past lives. Very you interesting. Know. And there's also experimental things. They call them experimental birthmarks where in certain cultures, they'll mark the body after somebody's died and then when the baby's born nearby, they check the baby to see if they've got that mark on them so they can see if this person's reincarnated. Oh, that's sometimes very it, interesting. They do a, a mark on the, the back of the neck just mm. underneath the hairline and other places. So, yeah, so these uh, – it's, it's well documented. I mean, researched for years. Mm. I, and actually, I did an episode on reincarnation in my very first season of the podcast. This is season eight that we're in now. And I actually covered that chap and I had some photos of his work on that episode's page of my podcast website, www.walkingtheshadowlands.com. So if you, if listeners, if you want to go on there, it's just simply titled Re- Reincarnation. You can actually find a link to this gentleman and his work. It's really very interesting. There are photographs, as Simon talked about, showing the birthmarks of these children and conforming marks on the the bodies of the people he was able to find and photographs of them of their wounds and stuff like that. Very, very interesting. Now, in your research, Simon, in your experiences, have you come across many like of from recent tragedies? Like, for example, 9-11, when I did the episode on reincarnation, uh, I actually f- only focused on children because that's just kind of the way the way it worked out. But children, mostly children, who were people who had died during the 9-11 incident. And many of these children recall falling or recall being trapped or recall hearing a bomb going off. Yeah, I, I talked to, uh, now I think it's Carol Bowman is the lady I talked to about this. I'm, I'm like 90% sure. And she uh, was contacted because she's a, a great researcher. She's got a couple of great books out on children with past life memories. Mm-hmm. And she was contacted by a family whose little boy 
kind of remembered being a firefighter. That's right. Yes. Nine eleven, and they think they tracked down the family and the firefighter, but she said they haven't contacted the family because they didn't want to, you know, cause any problems with grief. And if the family really does not like the idea of reincarnation, they didn't want to cause any trouble. Right. But the uh, what the boy was saying was very, you know, there was a lot of detail there. There's no way this boy could have known this stuff. A lot of and that's detail. one of the things that's so fascinating about this. And, uh, you know, the, the work by Ian Stevenson is being continued by more other people. Mm. And uh, he was at the University of Virginia. They have a, a place there called the Division of Perceptual Studies. And it's now Dr. Jim Tucker who's running that side of the research but they also research near-death experiences there and uh i just happened to be interviewing jim tucker tomorrow night for my podcast oh brilliant he's got a book out because he's written two books previously about children with past lives and he's gone into a lot of detail with the children and it and it shows how much these kids remember Mm. and how much of it is verified so Mm. it's it's not just a couple of small things but They've put both his books into one big book now. So he, he's so, you know, that's how I'm able to get him on the podcast because, you know, he's promoting his book. Yeah, yeah, it's a good okay. way to get people on the podcast. And uh, so it's going to be fascinating to talk to him about it. But there's a, some really good researchers out there who are looking into this. And it's just amazing how it's not kind of mainstream that not many people really know about it and know how just how much information these children bring through that's verified that's the thing isn't it it's not just it's not just this little snippet like you know uh, and very often kids spontaneously remember past lives for a period and then as they get older they no longer remember them but it's not, and it's not just little snippets with these children that we're talking about. It's verifiable information. Like I had um, the the one about the kid that was the fireman as well on my show because that was so impressive and there was so much detail that he brought forth from the people he worked with, their nicknames, where the station was, the new new fire engine or something they had just got. All of these were absolutely verifiable information. And so it's not just little things like a child saying, oh, you used to be my mummy. You know, it's verifiable stuff. And very often it's in families that people don't even believe in this. I've never heard of it. It's like the um, James Lenigo case in America that Jim Tucker wrote about. He investigated that with Carol Bowman and – the boy went into so much detail about his life as a pilot in the Second World War. And he talked about the type of plane he flew. And uh, his father, like his parents were Christians, and the mother was much more accepting of the possibility of reincarnation. But the father yeah. just would, was against it so much. And he wanted to prove it was nonsense. But the more he investigated it, the more he was, you know, confused and frustrated because yeah. the more he found of it was true. And there was even a point they gave the boy a, a model of the actual aircraft that he said he flew. And the boy said something like, oh, they've left the, uh, the aerial off. There was an aerial that used to stick out the side of the aircraft. People were always walking into it. And later on, that the, the father took the boy to the... Uh, 
like the meeting of all these people, these veterans who were on the aircraft carrier that he flew on. And he mentioned this aircraft and spontaneously one of the guys said, oh yeah, those, they had an aerial sticking out the side, you know, we were always walking into it. And, and it's the thing with how could this four-year-old boy know about that? Yeah. They weren't even putting the aerials on the model aircraft. So, you know, he couldn't, the boy couldn't have learned about it in this life by seeing that somewhere. Yeah. And, it's, it's, uh, it's absolutely fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. And I, I think they took him to a, a theatre show that was a kind of um, music and dance from the 40s. And uh, somebody came on stage dressed as the president and the little boy is four years old going, oh, that man's an idiot, you know, talking about the president. <laughs> and it was strange how he had such a strong opinion of this character, you know. Right. Oh, that's so interesting. Now, the information that this, I guess that's why I focused on children more than adults, because children aren't for the most part it's not stuff that they would have picked up elsewhere like this kid that was the the fighter pilot you know there's no way that as a four-year-old he could have known that or even understood what he was reading if he read it somewhere enough to to be able to talk about it knowledgeably and didn't he also recall the names of some of the people he worked with? Yeah, he was. Uh, his name was James Houston in the previous life. Um, when he was very small, he would draw pictures of aircraft, like fighter aircraft, because he would fly a very small bomber, a one-man aircraft, and mm. he would always draw it crashing, and then he'd sign it James Three. And his parents would say, why are you signing it James 3? And he said, well, I'm the third James. And they didn't quite know what that was. But then they found out in the previous life, his name was James. And, you know, they'd named him James in this life. And in the previous life, the father was called James. So in this life, that made him the third James. Very, very interesting. But they, he had so much interesting detail there where he said that he was flying, I think he said Mustangs was a fighter plane but on this the aircraft carrier they didn't have mustangs and they think he's just making a mistake but when they did a lot more research into this pilot's life they found that before he was stationed on an aircraft carrier he was a test pilot for these certain type of mustang fighter planes there's no way this little boy could have known that and he said they had a problem with the mustangs that the tires would always blow up when they were landing and oh, wow. after even more in-depth research, he found out this was true. That's why he was a test pilot on this type, this prototype of this Mustang. One of the problems they had was that tires would blow up when they came back down to land. Wow. So the, they eventually tracked down the, uh, they call him the previous personality, the, the last life. Right. They tracked down the previous personality's sister, who was an old woman. And she sat down and talked with the little boy and she said afterwards that, you know, she said, I, I, I don't really believe in reincarnation. I'm a Christian, but I just can't deny there's something here. Something of my brother has come through in this little boy. Oh, wow. Because he had, uh, you know, information about the family that mm-hmm. um, nobody would know about, about the abusive father and being a drunk and leaving them. And, you know, she said, we don't, we never told anybody like about that. We're too embarrassed. We don't tell people that's what our family was like when we were small. Wow. Wow. And and that's, 
must have actually, in a way, been very healing for that woman to know that, you know, well, her brother still exists in some way or form, even though there must have been a bit of a dissonance for her, like dealing with her, her Christian beliefs and this young chap in front of her giving her details, you know, that must have been difficult for her to reconcile on one hand and yet encourage, uh, very, not encouraging, very comforting on another hand. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that um, it's almost it's like it's comforting to all of us in a way, I suppose, because there is something that can be verified it's like you, you can look up the documents and the facts mm. and figures and find mm. that these things are true. And it's not like a, some kind of religious faith that you believe in the afterlife when actually there, there isn't actually that kind of proof like you would get with these children or with near-death experiences. And, mm. and with other you know things where um, with mediumship and deathbed visions and all these other things that come up, and that's sort of what my podcast is about is look, trying to look at this evidence for the afterlife so it's not at all from a religious point of view it's all if there are facts and figures but what what it's done has really led me down a rabbit hole whereas yeah. before, when I started off I'm just looking for these verifiable near-death experiences and these children but, and then it leads you on to stuff and it might have been when I started the podcast I might hear about some spiritual thing, something a medium would say or something, mm. and I think, oh, that's just too far for me. That's too crazy. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, but now, after these years of studying it and looking at it and having my own experiences, you think, this isn't crazy. But also, it, it, in a way, it kind of clamps me down because I've gone down this rabbit hole by myself and nobody in my family has and none of my friends have. And so I think I can't talk to people about this anymore. They'll think I'm mad. (laughs) But I I had um, a guest on the show, a medium called Claire Broad. Do you cover mediumship on your podcast? I'm not generally. I don't give mediums. Well, I am one myself, but I generally don't have mediums as mediums on the show because there's lots of shows out there that do that so I just really stick to experiences that people have had generally right this is one of my experiences so I was talking to her about um uh, she there was she did a book with another woman about angels and angels right. communicating and for me that that was a bit too far this is crazy this stuff with angels And the people who've had near-death experiences would talk about seeing angels. And I'd say to them, okay, well, what did they look like? Because if you say to me angels, I imagine huge wings and playing a harp and wearing a white robe. Right. But they said, said, no, they're they're just like some kind of energetic being. They might just be an intense ball of light or or a kind of like a light being, a human-shaped light. But they, they saw them as angels. And so what they would do is um, they'd say that you might see, you might, they might indicate to you that you've had a visit by an angel because they leave a feather. And I, I was thinking about this the day after I talked to this medium. And just at that, that exact point, I was thinking about that, a white feather floated out of the sky in front of me. Oh, wow. That's really and, interesting. And... Uh, so I looked at that and I thought that's just a coincidence. 
So a few weeks later, I interviewed the woman, the co-author that she wrote the book with. And I was saying, you know, I had, so I had this experience where I was thinking about the angel, this white feather floated down and she kind of laughed and I finished the interview and I went downstairs and there in the middle of my teenage daughter's bedroom was a feather on the floor and the carpet was completely clear. It wasn't like a teenager's bedroom. There's got junk everywhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and the feather was, it was like this long. And um, I asked my daughter where it come from. And she was like, I, I don't know. I found out later it was her feather. She'd had it, you know, for a while, but she hadn't placed it right in the center of the room. So that as soon as I come through the door, there it is really obvious in front of me. Right. And... And so the, there was two things there that, about feathers, and they both just at that point where I'm talking about or thinking about angels leaving you a sign by leaving you a feather. So then I go, uh, this before COVID, I go and see a medium, and uh, she is friends with the Claire Broad, the first medium that I talked to about angels and feathers. And... But before I sat with her, she didn't know who I was. She didn't know anything about the podcast. You know, I just gave my first name. And she she did a, an hour of mediumship and she was really good. You know, she just came up with so much stuff that was correct. Right. And afterwards I said, well, you know, I got your number from your friend Claire Broad and I do this podcast and I was talking about angels and I was talking about these feathers. And she says, well, look down. What, what? And I looked down and there was a white feather on the floor in between us. And I'd oh, been wow. sitting opposite her for an hour, you know, and that white feather was not there during that hour because mm. the carpet was really nice and hoovered, you know, completely clean. And I, I really was, you know, stumped then. It's one of those times where your brain comes to a full stop and you just think, I just can't explain where that feather came from. Yeah, yeah. And and so you, it's uh, it's like in physical mediumship, they, when something appears, they call it an airport, airport don't they? Yeah, yeah. And and so I was just thinking that that must be what's happened because <clears throat> I mean maybe the feather was stuck to the bottom of my shoe when I walked in and it fell off at a certain point, but it wasn't that close to me. Yeah. And so you know when you have experiences. They mean they can really mean a lot to you, and you explain them to someone else, and they 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 can kind of be skeptical and talk it away. But three times now, feathers have turned up mm. when I'm talking about angels leaving signs, leaving feathers for me or for anybody. You know, when they want to make their presence known, right? And it's like one compounded on the other, which multiplied the feelings of the next one, and that's just one of my kind of experiences that makes me really wonder about this stuff mm. and uh, I try and keep an open mind but there's a saying I like which is keep an open mind but not so open that your brain's falling out. out yeah yeah that's a good one I like it too yeah, it, yeah so and it's good to keep an open mind and it's also good to question as well like I always say to people you know you can listen to what I have to tell you can listen to it, but you should always question, never just accept things at face value, even from me, even from, you know, from anybody. You should always question it and see how it fits 
with you how does it feel how does it resonate in your soul how does it make you feel when you think about it do you feel good do you feel comfortable do you feel at ease you know like it's really important to question but when things like that happen it does make you question automatically doesn't it you question what your beliefs are you question how how did this happen and you go through most people go through like you did all the logical things did I bring it on my show did I before you can accept that this might not be actually a physical thing even though there's a feather physically here People back in the olden times used to live by signs and synchronicities. That was how they lived, more than people these days do. We've lost a bit of our connection that we used to have with spirit, if you if you like, with the way that spirit or the unseen realms let us know that they're around. Yeah, there's all sorts of little signs. And I've talked to mediums about this and other people and it's almost frustrating in a way if if they are spirits can do apports and they can leave signs why are they so subtle why can't they just you know be a bit more obvious about it all and leave us something that you know just write like the lottery speech. numbers on a bit of paper and leave yeah. it out for us somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but you know apports like talking about the feather appearing aren't always subtle. I did a, a, a paranormal investigation with a team that I run some time ago, and we were sitting in this hall, and all of a sudden there was this loud bang, and it was incredibly loud. And there were five of us in the room. We all looked around and said, what the was that? It was so loud. And then we heard this bang, and then we heard this, dunk 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 turned the lights on and it was a little bit of dog food a little bit of dried dog biscuit that had come out of nowhere made this terrific noise louder than it should be for the size of it and uh that's the first time i've ever experienced an import but it certainly wasn't subtle it was like <laughs> really, really loud in your face so and did not, it scare you or did you feel excited? Like, yes, I've actually seen something. Excited because like, you know, I had never, in all my years, I, I've never experienced an airport before. And I had heard that they can be quite noisy. But, you know, like I'd never mentioned anything to my team because it's not something that had ever come up until this happened. So it was, we were all very excited, but that was a very active place. That's another story. But yeah, yeah, they aren't always subtle, but most of the time they they are. And you have to be aware of that. I guess you have to be aware of yourself and your own feelings as well to to sometimes recognize what's going on. Yeah, because there's this idea that the energy that the people doing the investigation produce can make have an effect can't it oh absolutely it's like, mm. like the um physical mediumship when you at one of those seances they get everybody to sing a song and to be really upbeat and mm. and to bring in a positive energy and i talked to um there's a lady that looks after a physical medium called Stuart alexander in the uk and uh, he's getting i think he's 73 74 now oh, wow. and he's he's really good but she 
is a kind of uh, what you might call the gatekeeper. You don't get into one of his seances unless she says so. Right. She, she, you have a conversation with her about why you would like to sit with a physical medium and, you know, how, if you're really sceptical, because they don't mind you being sceptical, but they don't want you to try and sneak recording devices in and or mm. to suddenly mm. jump up and interrupt it all. But I interviewed um, Leslie Kane, she wrote a book called Surviving Death and Netflix based a series on her book. Right. And she's in the series as well. And um, she's been a guest a couple of times. And she sat with Stuart Alexander at one of his seances and she saw some amazing stuff. And I've talked to him about it as well because he was a guest on the podcast. And she talks about how she sat opposite him and there was a table on the floor with a glass top and there was a red light on under the table because they, they keep it very dark in these physical seances. Mm. And he was sitting on a chair opposite her with his cable ties around his arms, holding his arms to the chair, cable ties around his ankles. So he, he couldn't have um, leant forward and done any kind of magic tricks. Right, right. But this, uh, you know, they call it ectoplasm. It came... She says it came as a mist over the side of the table and that the, it was lit from underneath by this red light and the mist coalesced and formed a human hand. And she heard a voice say something like, well, aren't you going to shake my hand? And she leant forward and she held it and shook hands with this hand. And she said it felt just like a human hand, just a little cold maybe. And it just kind of fell apart back into the mist and disappeared back over the table. And, you know, it's like, it's almost like it's real magic, like Harry Potter's real and magic's <laughs> right, being done. Right, right. But there's all these other things that happen in these physical seances. And they used to happen like 100 years ago, 120 years ago. And so Arthur Conan Doyle would investigate and right. it was the Society for Psychical Research. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I thought that all kind of died out 100 years ago, but there are still physical mediums about doing these things and these apports happen and these uh, voices are heard and these uh, trumpets, you know, about the, what they call the trumpets yeah. that float around the room. Yeah. The only, the, I have a lot of issue with that as a medium myself, because there are so many fakes out there that prey on vulnerable people. So I have a, I'm always really skeptical, despite my knowing about yeah. stuff like that, because of the fakery and the trickery and the people that have given genuine mediums a bad name. And that's, that's one of the reasons I don't have mediums on my show, because I don't know them. I, and I'm not yeah. going to promote anybody that I don't know is genuine you know what I mean because there's so much trickery out there that anybody can say anything and I don't I've read all that stuff and I know that he and um there were Houdini went around um um debunking most of these frauds some they couldn't some they genuinely couldn't but they were very rare and far between yeah there was a a medium who in the Second World War, she would have voices in the room. And this young man came through and said that he was on a British warship that had been sunk. Right. And she, um, I think she talked about it and she was arrested. That's and right. 
the government had said, this, this is top secret. We do not release this information. You must be a German spy. And uh, she, they, they prosecuted her in the end using uh, an act of parliament. I think it was the 1753 Witchcraft, Witchcraft. Act. That's right. I, that's, I, that's where she went to prison for a couple of years. Yeah. And uh, later she was in Scotland in the 50s doing a seance and the police raided the seance and she, because she was a physical mediumship and they talk about the energy you've got to have in the room. Mm-hmm. She died about a few months, maybe a year later. And there's some people are suggesting that it's the police that damaged her when they raided. It was it caused such a bad energy. I don't know about that. That's just something I've heard. But that that's a suggestion. But it's fascinating that she had that information about the warship sinking. Yes. And it was top secret. There's no top way secret, she could yeah. have known that. I remember reading about that, and I remember thinking, "Poor woman, how awful!" It's really just another witch hunt, isn't it? You know, because. Like, I know for myself in my own personal life, I've had people come to me. uh, I had a friend come to me because she knew I was a medium. And a friend of hers had, and I'm not sure if I'll keep this in the show or not, a friend of hers had passed, uh, had had disappeared in very strange circumstances. And she said, can you please, please try and find out what's happened to her? Well, anyway, she came to me and she showed me what had happened to her and I saw that she had been murdered and I saw where her body was laying, the position it was laying in and I I noticed that like she had one shoe on, one shoe off, the way her body was lying and I noticed there was something in her mouth but I couldn't make out what was in her mouth and so I contacted the friend and I said, look, I'm really sorry, but I'm pretty sure that your friend has passed. And I I wouldn't say that to any other person. It was just because I knew this lady. And, you know, I could always be wrong. I'm human, you know, and so things have to filter through my own knowing. So I don't like to get involved in stuff like this because I don't want to cause pain to people. And I said, look, she's showing me where she is. I don't know the area that you live in at all, but I'm showing that you go down this road and there's lots of forest around, um, not native forest, it's pine or something like that, that's been planted, it's man-planted, non-natural forest. We do logging here in New Zealand. It's one of our major exports, so it's one of those forests. And you go out of this this particular city and and you go like you're heading towards this way and there's this on this side and then there's a road to the left and you go down that road and she's off on the right, just off the road behind a pile of gravel. Uh, I, I think I said gravel. And, and she said, can you let the police know? And I said, look, hon, the police aren't going to listen to me. They're not going to pay any attention to what I say. They'll laugh at me. They'll think I'm you know, full of, you know, caca. And and anyway, so I said, because she was so distraught, I said, look, okay, I will, but I'm telling you now this is how they respond. And, of course, that was how they responded. They just laughed at me and hung up the phone. Two days later, she was found exactly where I said she was, in the position I saw her, and what was in her mouth was her ear. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. 
I did the police come back to you and think you're a suspect because you knew where the no, body was? No, they just they, they they didn't pay any attention to what I said. They just laughed at me and hung up the phone. You know, they you know. Yeah. I'm just another kook. Uh, I'm just an attention seeking, and so I I just don't do that anymore. After that, that was the first and only time I've done that. I've had people ask me, but I I just won't because. It's distressing to me <laughs> because I tend to feel what the victim feels or what the person feels when, I, when I'm doing readings. I tend to feel, or if somebody comes in that's passed, I feel how they passed. Like if they passed with a stroke or get a headache or a pain on the side of the head that they had their stroke on the side, um, you know, stuff like that. So it's just too stressful. And there's always the possibility that I could be wrong and it's the human side of me that holds me back from doing this because I don't want to cause pain to people. That's not what I'm about. But, you know, yeah, it's it can be very, I guess where I was going was this, the energy, you were talking about the energies. It takes a lot of energy for me to do stuff like that. Even just when I'm talking to people like this and spirit will come through, that takes a heck of a lot of energy. And I'm 65 now. The older I get, the less my body bounces back. It can take me a couple of days to get over it. So when you're talking about physical mediums who can produce stuff like that, actually, I'm actually, uh, and I don't generally say this, I'm a full trans transfigurational medium, which means that if I allowed spirit, they could alter my appearance and take on the appearance of another of themselves you know so yeah, and that's yeah. only ever happened to me once and it was spontaneously when I was doing a reading for this couple that were there with me and the woman's aunt just was there in front of my face and all I could see was blurry and I thought oh my eyes have gone all blurry all of a sudden she gasped and screamed and burst out crying I thought oh, my God, did I say something wrong? You know, I didn't know what had happened because it actually hadn't. I don't allow spirit to do that. I don't allow spirit to use my body because it's just my control. You know, I just won't allow anybody to use my body without my permission. And that was the yeah. first and only time that happened. And once it happened, I said, no. But she said to me, I said, when she calmed down and stopped crying, she said, I just saw my aunt as clear as day. You weren't there. Your face wasn't there. It was her looking at me, talking to me. And the energy, and this is a roundabout way of saying that the energy that that a person when they're a physical medium exudes, is it can be physically damaging to them to have, like you should never touch somebody who is, uh, in this process, you know, who's who's doing something like that because it interrupts the energy and and it can cause disruption to the electrical system in their body. So it can cause things, you know, like heart palpitations or stuff like that. If you, you know, if you've got any issues, it can enhance that because it interrupts the electrical signals in your body. And we're all energy. We're all electrical beings pretty much. So that's why it's dangerous. That was a really roundabout way of saying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that, yeah. That, that it can be very damaging to mediums. But anyway, let's get back to your work because um, we really did go off the, off the beaten path there. 
in your work as a clinical hypnotherapist, is there something that's consistently that you've seen with all the past life regressions that you've done? Um, I always take people uh, into the past life, but we never know which life they're going right. to see. And the idea is that it'd be your higher self, your spirit guides that would choose the past life for you to see. Um, what, what I suppose is interesting uh, is that almost every time the people see a life that's not really that interesting, not that exciting, can be quite mundane, mm. but at the same time, they get a lot of insight out of it and it can be really helpful for their current life. Right. So it's only been a couple of times somebody's gone to something really traumatic. And what I do is always we go through the death of the past life, which is something we do very uh, easily. And, you know, I think only a, maybe twice somebody's had a traumatic death. Almost always they say they're just old and they're in a bed and they just drift away. Right. And part of the hypnosis there is that I say to them, we're going to do this. We're going to go through this past life death with detachment and with peace and with just enough connection to understand what's happening. So there's no pain there, no physical pain, no emotional right. pain. And they, most of the time they say, you know, it's, it's, I just drifted away and I, I feel this sense of relief. And now I'm, I'm quite glad to be away from that old body. And um, then we go into this afterlife space where I would invite spirit guide to come forward and we can ask them some questions. And quite often they do come forward and then we can ask all sorts of things like, uh, why have you incarnated in this life? And the spirit guide say, well, you're here to learn this lesson. And we say, are you on the right path? And why did you show us that previous life? How's it connected to this life? So I've got maybe 20, 30 questions that we can ask. Right. And then also I, I ask the client to give me questions. If they've got something specific, they'd like to ask the spirit guide before we start. I say, let me write this down. So I've got it right. ready to go. When we get to that point. And, you know, it's interesting how the spirit guides turn up and they show themselves. Usually they, they, they show themselves as a person, not somebody that the people would recognize. Right. A couple of times I've had it that, um, I had a woman whose son had died the year before and she was in this past life where she was in the kitchen and she was cooking dinner for the family and it was a Victorian era. And she said, oh, my brother's just walked in the room. And I said, it was the brother of the past life. She said, no, my, my current life brother who died, he's just come in and he's, he's just come here. He's just come to tell me that he's okay. And there was another time, we were in that afterlife space after we'd gone through the past life death. And the woman said, ah, oh, my grandmother's here. She's just come to say hello. And it's the spontaneous, you know, imagery of these people coming in. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's, we, we never know if that's going to happen. You can't no. guarantee that would right. happen. It'd be great if you could offer that as a, a service, you know, but, um, also, I've had a couple of people who've gone to peculiar past lives. I was just going to ask you about that. Um, sorry to interrupt. In in your work, have you ever uh, talking about? Oh, maybe go ahead. Um, maybe that that will answer the question I have. Well, um, 
This woman said she was in a desert and it was very uh, rough. There were lots of rocks on the ground, but it was a desert. And one of the things we do straight away is to try and get them grounded into that life is to say, you know, what are you wearing? Mm. If you look down, can you see what you're wearing? And she said, well, I'm naked. And then she was quiet for a while. And it was kind of like she was embarrassed to say, but she said, I don't think I've got a human body. I've got too many knees that my legs have got two sets of knees. And um, I tried to ask her more about that, but we couldn't really find out any more about that life. And one thing about this is, you know, hypnosis is the power of suggestion. Right. So the questions I ask have to be really basic. I can't suggest yeah, anything, yeah. but there was another life. This woman said she was hiding in a cave and she was really scared. And she was saying they're coming to get me. But the, what she said was coming together. She said they're like rats, but they're, they're human sized and they're intelligent. And I'm hiding in this cave and I'm not human. I, I, I don't know what this body is. So that sounded like another weird past life on another planet. So, you know, this, this stuff is, uh, you know, could indicate, there's no way you could prove mm -hmm. it, but there are lives on other planets. And there was also a woman I interviewed. She had a, she's got a book called The Dual Soul Connection. I have it, Susie. Where, yeah, she talks about having this previous life as a gray alien, mm -hmm. one of the greys that does the abductions. Mm -hmm. And how in this life it's called, she calls it the dual soul mm. connection because it's like she's got her gray alien soul in this life as much as a, a human soul. Yeah. But yeah, I suppose you can't say a soul's a human soul. It's just a soul and it might incarnate on any planet as, as anything. Yeah. So that, you know, those, those are interesting things that have cropped up. And so you asked for consistencies and I went completely the other direction. That, that's actually the question that I was going to ask you. So, uh, yes, something just said, shut up, Marion, and let him talk because he's going in the direction <laughs> you were going to ask. So, yeah, there you go. I was going to ask, have you ever come across cases during your work where people have lived in other realities and other planets? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've had experiences myself where uh, it was – kind of like a water planet it seems like i was something like a dolphin oh, and the whole planet was just water serious and mm. when i was asked about it it was my my response was that this is a place where souls come for rest you incarnate here as a, a rest time a rest space before you go back to some awful planet like the earth <laughs> well earth is a prison planet it is a prison planet. It's definitely a, a place of polarity here for sure. So in all your work, what is it that you've learnt the most about about what you've done? What sticks with you the most? Um, I'm not sure. Because I've been interested in this for such a long time. Mm and read so many books about it. It's almost like what I come across when I'm doing past life regressions, I'm, I'm aware of it. And I, I know, you know, these things can crop up and uh, there's sometimes some spontaneous things. I suppose what I learned from it is that people can get such great healing from such mundane lives mm. and that we can break the connection between the lives, it's like your subconscious is bringing through these connections. Mm. 
And we, we can say during the hypnosis, talk to the subconscious and say, you know, you're doing such a great job and you're so good at this, but there's this one thing that you're bringing through that's not helping. Do you mind not doing it? And the subconscious will say, yeah, that's it, I'll stop. And I've had it where I've, I've said, okay, subconscious, do you agree to not bring this through anymore? And the client's gone, yes. And then afterwards, after I've taken them out of the hypnosis, they say, I don't know where that yes came from. I didn't say that. It just kind of sprung up out of me. Like it was really was their subconscious that was talking and agreeing to it. So it's, it's amazing when those things happen. It's very interesting. Do you find that, like for me personally in my life, one thing that I've learned with my past life recollections is that the past belongs in the past like you like a lot of people want to find out about past lives because they're curious just because they want to know that they've had them and I always say to people well you know if you need to know about a past life not just because you're curious but if it has an impact on your life now then you'll find out about it in one way or another whether it's through dreams whether it's through spontaneous recollections or or for example phobias a lot of people myself included have phobias that they've brought that are that are related to past lives have you come across that yeah, people come to me and say they have this this feeling, this phobia or this emotion, and they don't know the source of it. And they might have felt like this their whole mm. life. And uh, that, that's one of the things that people will come to me to kind of do an exploration. It's, it's not like they're desperate for therapy. Right. And it's one of the things that I look for because I, I do a free consultation call before we do the session. And I'll ask them, do you feel like you've been pushed to do this as though your spirit guides are behind mm. you and they're, they're poking you in the back saying, go and do this past life regression. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes they feel like that there's some kind of inspiration, some kind of drive to do it. And so that, that you can see where maybe these things crop up. I, I did a session for a woman in Russia and her brother-in-law listened to my podcast and suggested to her that she talk to me because she's had this feeling of guilt her whole life and she can't explain it. And we went through to these three past lives where there were circumstances, like she saw a life where she was a doctor and she was called to this house. This woman had just given birth. And as a doctor, they knew that the baby would not survive and they felt terribly guilty because I'm a doctor. I should be able to help Why? here. But, And then there was another past life where she was an old woman in bed and she was dying. And there was a teenage girl sitting next to the bed. And she knew that the parents were gone. And this, this old woman was the only person to look after this teenage girl. So she knew when she died, she was on her deathbed, she, the girl would be orphaned. And so these things made them feel tremendously guilty mm. in their past lives. And it was like this guilt was being brought through to this life and she didn't know the source of it. And after we finished the regression, she, she looked so confused and bewildered. And she said, I don't know what just happened to me because she, she had no interest in reincarnation and past lives. And, you know, she'd just done it because her brother-in-law had suggested it might help. Right. So, and so this 
connection to these lives showing this guilt was amazing. And she said she felt lighter afterwards, like something had been lifted off her shoulders, you know. And that, that's where some of the therapy can come into yeah. it. But usually what I like to do is three hypnotic sessions and they get more intense as we go through. And the, that's where we, we get into the release of all the energies and breaking the connections to the past lives. Right. And do you, like, does that also help you build the connection with your clients so that they, they trust you? Like, you know, the first session might be, you know, the client might be a little bit uncomfortable or uneasy or not exactly sure what's going on. So it gives them a chance to relax into the process as well. Yeah, but the three sessions are, are structured like that. So the first one's a kind of an introduction right. where we're not really trying to be therapeutic. Yeah. So you learn what it's like to be hypnotized and you learn what it's like to view a past life. And it, it's, um, it's being set up that way. And as it gets more intense as you go along, it's, it's kind of like you can handle mm. it because you know where you mm. are and what you're mm. doing. And also I do all the sessions on Zoom. Oh, so. Wow. The clients are, are at home. They're in their own space. They're not in some strange room with some strange man. Right. And they feel, I feel they can relax much right. more because they know if they wanted to, they could just cut the connection on Zoom and they're in their own place. And the thing about hypnosis is sometimes people afterwards say to me, I don't think I was hypnotized. But to me, it was obvious they were hypnotized. And I think what they were expecting hypnosis to be and what it actually is are two different things. Right. You're in complete control the whole time and you remember everything. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I record every session. So I send an MP3 out after the session. So the person it gives them the opportunity to relax during the hypnosis mm. and not, they don't have to worry about whether or not they remember this or yeah, that yeah. because they'll have the recording. That's really interesting. I never thought about you being able to do that via Zoom. I always thought about hypnosis as being an in-person thing. So, of course, you can, you know, <laughs> but it just never occurred to me that you could. And, of course, with the world situation as it is, as we stand at the moment with COVID, it's the only way you can work. Yeah, and because the podcast is worldwide, mm. I've had clients, most of my clients are from America, but occasionally it's Australia and New Zealand, and I've had clients from Sweden and Norway and, you know, just everywhere. And it's it's amazing how it works so well over Zoom. Yeah. And I think it's a, it's a kind of an energetic thing. I think mediumship works well over Zoom as well. Yeah, it's, because it's... You're right. It's not about the physical thing of being with somebody. It's about the energy and the connection. You're, you're absolutely correct on that. And there is no t uh, there's no distance with energy. Energy is like, um, yeah, like I've had clients in America. I've had clients in England like yourself. And you don't have to physically be with a person to be able to feel that energy and that connection. You're absolutely correct on that. Have you ever had any clients that you could not hypnotize that for whatever reason you couldn't hypnotize yeah it's it's uh i can think of two out of all this i've done a lot of sessions and i think that it was a kind with one of them it was a thing they had never done it before and they were very kind of anxious right. about it 
But the thing was, they were coming to me for therapy to help them with their anxiety. <laughs> so it was, you know, it was a kind of a self-perpetuating thing. Right. So the first session, it didn't work out, but the second session did. And it was just the thing where she was just getting used mm -hmm. to it. And the second time the, the guy, he kind of, uh, he said, look, it's, I just can't relax at the moment. I just can't get into it. And it's like, okay, fair enough. And if it's like that, I reschedule the session with yeah. them. And, you know, I have this policy. If somebody cancels within 24 hours, then they forfeit the fee. Yeah. But with situations like that, I say, well, okay, we'll, we'll just rebook it. And I won't charge them again. We'll, we'll have another go at it. Yeah, it's fair, it's fair call. Because, you know, like yeah, people would come to you with all sorts of, you know, anxieties and people with trust issues too it must be difficult for them to be able to relax and put themselves in the hands of somebody they don't know because they don't know what's going to happen. So that I could see that that could make it difficult for people to relax. But only two, that's out of all the people that you've seen and you've doubtless seen hundreds, that's not bad, really. I think that um, just about all my clients listen to the podcast and that's how they know about me and what I do. So um, a lot of them say that they, they already right. know my voice and, and there's, there may be a trust thing there because they, if they hear me talking so much over, you know, 160 yes. something episodes, it's, it's almost like you get an idea of what yeah, the person's absolutely. like. I agree with that. And there's a familiarity there because you're in their home with them, you know, on the podcast, you're with them when they're jogging or when they're driving. So there definitely is kind of a, a familiarity and, and you don't feel like a stranger to them uh, because you've been a part of their lives while they're doing whatever it is that they're doing. So there's a, yeah, you're right. So there's a trust that I actually hadn't thought about that until until just now. But yeah, people do trust you. They get to know you. Uh, they get to know your personality. And listening to your podcast would certainly, the way you talk to people, the way you interact with your guests, would certainly give them an idea of your personality for a start and it would let them know that they could trust you so I could see why it wouldn't be hard to hypnotise somebody yeah. who, who's got to know you like that because there is that, as you say, that trust there. Now, what got you into podcasting? What led you to that path? It's because I was listening to a lot of podcasts. I, I used to... Uh have a day job I used to have work in an office years ago and I, I it was quite a long way away it was 60 miles so I would wow. commute on the motorway it would take an hour and 15 minutes to get there an hour and 15 so it was two and a half wow. hours every day five days a week and so I didn't particularly like the radio I didn't like the DJs I didn't like the adverts yeah, I didn't yeah. like the music so I uh, started listening to podcasts and I was searching out all these different ones that would talk about paranormal stuff and supernatural and UFOs. And after a while, I realized that some of them had guests that I was really interested in, but then sometimes there were guests mm -hmm. I wasn't interested in. And I thought there isn't, I couldn't find a podcast that did mm. what I did. And I'm sure they're out there. I yeah. just couldn't find them. So I, th and I've been um, a musician for 
it's 40 wow. years now. And uh, just a moment. Here's one of my uh, things right here. That's a and nice guitar. I've always, I've always, yeah, I've always got, I've got one here next to the desk. I've got one next to the bed. I've got one next to the TV downstairs. I'm always picking up and playing and it's been 40 years. And over that time, I've done so much recording, whether it's uh, in studios or at home. And that's yeah. quite a big undertaking to do a whole band and to get it all right. And I thought, well, recording a voice is going to be a piece of yeah. cake. It's just talking to a microphone. I've already got all the software. I already know how to do it. And so I thought I'll, I'll make the podcast that I want to hear because I can't find it. And uh, so it was like I set myself that task and I researched it all and put it together. But it, it's um, I, I don't think I quite did it right because because you do seasons and I've never done seasons. I just every single week for 169 weeks, I released a one hour episode and did all oh the research gosh. and the recording and the editing and. And uh, so recently I've taken a break. And so I'm just getting back to it now after four or five weeks. Oh, my uh, goodness. You would have needed it. Look, when I first started my podcast, I did it weekly as well. And I did it all myself. I edited it up and I transcribed each episode because right from the start, for me, it's important that deaf people could have access to the podcast. Even if they can't hear it, they can read it because I operate on a shoestring, I can't afford transcription. And and the ones that are online that do it, you know, the, the computer ones, even the best ones, they're only maybe 80% accurate, less in my case, because the Kiwi accent, they always can't understand what I'm saying. So I end up rewriting it myself anyway, uh, because of all the errors in it. So I found it really hard because I, for, for my episodes, I like you read the book, which is a lot of work, a lot of hours, that's research. And I'm the same, like for each episode, particularly for episodes where it's a subject that I don't know, I'll do 10 to 30 hours research on that episode alone. And then I write it up, you know, and then I present it. But it's a lot of work, so kudos to you because I know how much work goes into this. Doing the research is quite good because you're reading a book about something you're really interested in, so that, that's quite good. Yes. Yes, I love it too. What do you have lined up? Uh, are you going to continue to do them weekly um, uh, and are you going to take breaks every so often so you don't burn yourself out? Well, what I'm going to do is um, record them in chunks and do. So I'm, I've got five lined up that are going to be recorded over the next seven days, and then so that will cut. That will be five weeks worth. So it'll take me two weeks to do uh, research and recording and editing. I, I've decided to. Um, do it that way and it's like the first guy i'm recording tomorrow night is dr jim tucker at the university of virginia as children's past lives and then i'm talking to a woman called deborah corbell and she was the subject of a book in the 90s that was quite successful called intruders which oh. was about alien abduction but she she says that you know, she, her and her sister were abducted many, many times throughout their lives and that things would happen 
around that as well. Mm -hmm. She had poltergeist activity in her house. Things would move around. So it's a thing where it's not just alien abduction. And the people who claim that being abducted by aliens mm -hmm. have the same after effects that people who've had near-death experience. So it's, you know, like uh, synchronicities, yeah. psychic events. They can't wear <laughs> wristwatches because they just won't work. So all sorts of stuff like that. And... Then I'm talking to Linda Kramer. She's um, a medium. I've already done, did an episode with her. She's great. And I'm talking to a guy called Richard Martini, who's in the States. And he's in, uh, he's in the movie business. And he's got had a couple of friends who are film stars. And they've come through a medium after they've died. It's Bill Paxton and um, somebody else. And... You know, he's he's done so much stuff and he's got so many books out and documentaries and things. And there's somebody else, wow. there's so many people. I'm just going to get it on the screen here. Um, oh, and Rob Gentile as well. He had a near-death experience. And so I'll be talking to him about his near-death experience. So they're the first five episodes coming up for the new uh, my new season. And I'm not sure if I will do seasons or I'll see how it goes, do five weeks and have almost like five weeks off before I do the next five and or something like that. I'll see how it goes. Well, even if you only took two or three weeks, that's a break for you. But it's not really a break because you're still sourcing guests, you're still lining up people. So it's still work behind the scenes, but it's a, but it's a little less work, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to go back to your lady that you were just talking about, the one who said about the watches, the UFO abductee. Now, I've been in experience in my entire life, and it's something that I do talk about on the show. And I, I, I just want to verify what she says, what, what she'll talk to about watches. Is um, My nurse is Fobwatch. I was a nurse for most of my working life. Honestly, Fobwatches are so, that's the nurse's watches that dangle on a chain that we, are in, in the British health system and in New Zealand and Australia, the nurses wear watches that, hang from their chest so it's easy for taking pulses and stuff like that my fob watches would last maybe two weeks and then they would die and these weren't digital ones these were wind up ones and if you didn't have a fob watch which is part of your uniform you would be you know like in trouble and it was it cost me a small fortune in watches because they would only last a couple of weeks and and i and i initially was buying really expensive good quality ones because I wanted them to last but I actually never wore watches until I went nursing so I didn't know that it was you know that I would affect them like that yeah so that's that's by the by so that's yeah. something you could tell your lady when you're talking to her yeah it's fascinating and also I, I've interviewed a couple of nurses on the podcast and it seems like it's nurses are on the front line with seeth things that may be supernatural supernatural <laughs> supernatural you know the doctors won't see it so much and the doctors seem to be much more materialist and don't believe yeah. in all this nonsense but nurses will see things and it's i talked to a, a woman called dr penny sartori and she got a phd in studying near-death experiences but she was a nurse for oh. 17 years and she said that um, her first night when she was a nurse, they uh, 
they said to her, oh, we think such and such in this bed over here is going to die tonight or maybe tomorrow because she's talking mm-hmm. to her dead husband. Mm-hmm. He's coming to visit her. And she thought, oh, okay, I'm the new guy. They're taking the mickey yeah. at me. This is a joke. It's yeah. not really happening. But then she realized that, you know, that this person was, they were having a conversation with somebody yeah. that wasn't there. And there's that phenomenon of deathbed mm. visions. And there's a, another woman that I'm hoping to interview soon. She's got a book out called Ghosts of the NHS. And she talks about how occasionally in this one hospital, the the patients would say to her, oh, I had that nurse visit me again last night. Why is she wearing that uniform from the 1950s? And she said all the nurses in the hospital knew about this ghostly nurse. And she was so comforting and so friendly. It was never like a, a scary apparition. And also it was like, it wasn't like it was a transparent ghost. It was as though she was really there. Yeah. She was an actual physical person that would visit. Yeah. So it it's always interesting how it's the nurses that are aware of all this stuff. And it's the doctors who, uh, you know, think it's all well, just nonsense. Well, the nurses nonsense. are hands-on. The doctors generally are just, they're not hands-on, except for they're there to diagnose and to give medication. They don't do hands-on in New Zealand and the British health system, it was a bit different when I was in the States. Um, my husband, then Jay, had an operation and um, he had a nasogastric tube in, and the doctors actually aspirated it. You know, they'd come and like, I've, and I've never seen in all my nursing career, I'd never seen a doctor do something like that. You know, that was a regular nursing care. So, but generally speaking, that it's nurses that do the hands-on stuff. So the nurses are there all the time. And I had an experience myself. I used to work permanent night shifts in this Roman Catholic hospital. It was run by the nuns in Auckland. And I was on this shift in the the sluice room. And the sluice room is where you, you empty the bedpans and, you know, all the soiled linen goes and stuff like that. And because the machines that you clean the bedpans out with, and we didn't use disposable bedpans, they were ones that were put in a sterilizer, washed, put in a sterilizer. So, you know, you had to clean the, the bedpans, particularly if the person had uh, uh, gone number twos. Um, so you had to clean the bedpans out before you put them in the sterilizer, otherwise they came out a caked mess. And I was cleaning, I, it was about two or three in the morning, This I was facing the sluice room, the door to the sluice room was on my left, and I was it was shut, and I was really aware of the noise I was making, because noise travels at night, and it's really hard not to make noise in a sluice room, it's just impossible, but you try to minimise it as much as you can, and I was cleaning this, and, and out of the corner of my eye, to my left, I saw this nun standing there, and I thought, Oh, because sometimes that because they lived above the hospital, and sometimes at night, if they couldn't sleep, they'd come around and visit the staff and just make sure that we were okay. And I saw this nun standing there, and she had the long black robe on, the the black, and she had the white bit around her face and under her chin. I don't know what they're called, and she was standing there with her hands like this, looking at me, not not in prayer, just you know, like at her at her chest level, just holding them like that, and I thought, oh, she looked really upset, and I thought, 
am I making too much noise? She's going to rip into me when I finish this. And I acknowledged her and I uh, turned back to what I was doing. And then I turned around to, I finished, I turned around to face her and she wasn't there. There was nobody there. But I saw her very clearly. I could see the color of her eyes, uh, the, the way the folds of her of her robe and her disapproving look at me and honestly it gave me such a fright because I and then I thought about it and I thought well I didn't hear anybody come in the door again uh, it was a swinging door I didn't hear the door shut which you know quite possibly I could have missed over the sound of the sluice but yeah that was that was um quite an interesting experience but as far as as patients go yes i've seen that so many many times myself and many nurses also kind of have this instinct they have a way of knowing when a person is going to turn or they're going to pass like for example some nurses know that a person's going to die uh one nurse that we had on our ward she, she would know because their nose would go cold and you'd know that they only had like half an hour or so to live. And that was the way she knew before anybody else knew. Didn't matter how how well they were, how ill they were. If their nose was cold, that was her sign. They were they were going to pass, and sure enough, they did. And just little things like that, little instinctual things that nurses, yeah, notice, yeah. And that lady, what's what's her name? That the ghost of the NHS. I'd love to talk to her. She sounds brilliant. Yeah, I think um, I'm going to just quickly check. I think her name is Glynis Amy Allen. Glynis. And um, Amy Allen. She's working now. She's retired as a nurse, and she's a medium. Well, that would be really interesting because I love her stories. So it's called Ghosts of the NHS. That's the name of the book. Simon, it sounds like you've got some really interesting stuff coming up for your guests. How can people contact you? Uh, The the, uh, website is pastlifeshypnosis.co.uk. And it's uh, it's a kind of dual website. Part of it has got the podcast on it and all the episodes. And the other part of the website is all about the hypnosis and doing past life regression, either just to explore and see what happens or for therapy. And there's a booking page there. So people can just go in and book a time and date that suits them to do a free consultation call. And it's 20 minutes and we can just talk about what it is they want to do. And if they book that, I'll send them an intake form. And they've put loads of information in there so I can read that before we do the consultation call. And that saves a lot of time because we don't have to go over, of you know, all the basics and yes. what have you. And I'm sure that there are heaps of people who are listening and who would be interested in actually having a session, whether it's just to satisfy their own curiosity or to find out what it's like or for, for help. Do you have many people who actually come to you just out of curiosity or do they always come to you with a specific intent in mind? I'd say it's about 50-50. Right. There's a lot of people who listen to the podcast and I think they're really interested in this stuff. And so, because currently I charge $99 for a session, that's US dollars. 
And I think that's quite cheap compared to a lot of other people. It's very cheap. And so Mm. we can come and just do an hour and we'll just see what crops up. And sometimes it's beneficial. Sometimes the spirit guides, if they choose a life for you, which would be really beneficial to view right now. So something might come up that makes sense that can give you insight into something that's happening in your current life. And other times we just see some interesting lives and um, people do seem to get a lot out of it, even if they didn't think they'd get that much out of it to begin with. It's, it's a thing. I think the spirit guides, uh, I almost feel like when I'm doing the consultation call before the proper session, the spirit guides are listening on the call. And it's almost, I say to the client, as much as you're telling me what you want to do, you're telling the spirit guides what you mm-hmm. want to do as well. Very interesting. And so are you on social media as well? Do you have a social, are you Instagram, Twitter? Instagram is uh, the Past Lives Podcast with an underscore between each word. And on Twitter, it's at Simon G. Bowne. And my surname is spelled B-O-W-N. And uh, so that I'm on those two. And there's a Facebook group. It's a private group. And um, that's the Past Lives podcast. And I kept it a private group so that people could go on there. And if they had something personal to say about this, they could say it and it wouldn't go on their normal Facebook yeah. feed. Because occasionally people do put things in there that I think they don't want their family to hear about or their friends. I I totally understand that. But people can join. And I presume presume you have questions that they have to answer before that. Yeah, yeah. Just about, you know, privacy and don't swear and don't be rude and, you know, all those kinds of things. Yeah, absolutely. I totally get that. So where do you see yourself going now do you have uh, do you feel like you might branch out in some other direction um, with your work oh here's a question have you ever done a hypnosis session where during that session you've had unusual phenomenon happen while you're doing the session no no, I haven't. And I wonder if that's because, you know, I'm not a, a medium. I never had any of that kind of talent. So I don't know if it's just you could say that you you can move the veil to one side or open up a channel in some way. I, I don't think that I can do that. I have had psychic flashes where I've seen things, but it's not like I've ever had any control. Right. What about another question, kind of a follow-on from, but have you ever had clients that you've hypnotized that have had spirit attachment to them? Uh, Well, the guy that I did the training with for past life regression therapy, he does spirit attachment kind of therapy and he teaches how to do it. But I haven't had a client with that. But he does do a course in that. And I was thinking of doing it because maybe they do. They have has been somebody with it, but I don't know how to recognize it. I think it would be obvious you'd know, like often people. And, and spirit attachment isn't as common as people think it is either. It's not like, you know, they can be spread around us in our energies, but it doesn't mean they're attached to us. That's quite a different thing. But that, 
Oh, I wonder if maybe that spirit's way of, because they just said to me just a minute ago, ask him that question. So maybe it's a way of getting you to think, oh, yeah, maybe I need to do do this. Yeah. Maybe I'm going to get some people who are, who are in that situation. Because when I, I talked to him about it, um, he was saying there's three different ways that he works with it. And I found it interesting. He said one of these attachments is with ETs. And he said it's it's kind of like they've put a device on the person. But it, it's not a physical device that we would see. It, it might be what you might call the astral plane, that there's a device. And he goes into the hypnosis and he asks the person say can you bring this et forward now and can we communicate with them and they're very polite and say would you mind removing this device from this person and the et will say oh, okay and then they'll take it off and it's a weird idea to me you know that these ets are in the astral plane they're not physical or they can choose to move between the astral plane and our physical plane there, there are but I, there I, are ets that are interdimensional as well as extraterrestrial so yeah yeah, that's what I've always thought. But I had a guest on who she talked about how she woke up, woke up one night and there were four ETs at the bottom of her bed and she got out of her bed and she was standing there and she didn't really feel that fearful. Mm. And then she, she thought, I feel really odd. And she looked around at the bed and she could see her body yeah. still in the bed. She was having an out-of-body experience. And as soon as she realized that, she snapped back into her body and woke up and looked up and the ETs weren't there. But she was saying it was, it was absolutely real. There was no way it was a dream. And also she, that gave her the idea that these ETs were in the astral plane where she was when she was out of her body. And so I had this kind of thing where she talked about it and this guy who does spirit attachment therapy talking about it. And it, there's a kind of, confirmation there that they've that idea that that happens and, and i once heard about a guy who had an out-of-body experience and he went way up into space and he came across this craft and while he was having the out-of-body experience around all the humans on earth nobody could see mm. him but when he went on board the craft these greys looked around at him and were kind of like hey how did you get here what do you think yeah, you're doing yes yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah, it's it's just interesting. There's there's I think there's people who think UFOs are just metal ships, maybe like Star Trek, and they travel <laughs> through space. But it's there's a lot more going on there oh. to do with reincarnation and spiritual matters. There is absolute, absolutely. Those are I can absolutely one hundred percent verify what you just said, and I talk about it in in various of my podcasts I've, I've talked about my knowing and my understanding and the the thing that you say about ETs in the astral body they have technology where they can remove our spirits from our physical body without our permission or without permission yeah, so not all abduction scenarios are, are physical Quite often they are, like that lady said, she was out of her body and she saw them at the foot of her bed. And then she realized she was out of her body. That's not uncommon in the least. Yeah, not uncommon at all. Yeah, because I have read about a couple of people talking about their abductions. And one of them 
was partially blind and they needed really powerful glasses. But when they were at the ETs, they didn't have their glasses on, but their sight was just mm-hmm. fine. And somebody else was saying that they have a limp because their leg was damaged. But when they were at the ETs, they, they were walking normally. Mm-hmm. And so there was that idea that the, actually they weren't in their bodies. They were abducted some other way, which is really creepy, actually. Yeah, yeah. There's something else. If I just tell you about this thing quickly, I um, uh, I did a past life regression and uh, we went through the death of the past life and the hypnotherapist was saying to me, okay, just drift away. You're going up high now you're into the clouds. Just drift away. Just tell me the first thing you see. And then I was suddenly terrified and it was like somebody had flicked a switch. I went zero to 100%. And she said afterwards she could see I was shaking and I felt like my muscles in my legs and my back and my arms had turned to jelly and it was all quivering. I was so scared. And I was lying on this table. There were these greys around me and they were doing something to me in this abduction experience. And then all these um, weird other things happened through this experience. And at the end of it, I found myself back in the flat I used to live in in West London. And then I got up the next morning, went to work like nothing had happened. But it was weird because I went to see her for a past life regression. There was no talk of trying to regress back to an abduction experience or looking Mm -hmm. for aliens at all. It was all about Mm -hmm. past Mm -hmm. lives. And this thing kind of spontaneously sprung up. And I've had other people, guests on the podcast who've had ET experiences and I've asked them about it because for me, it's almost like that wasn't real. I don't know where it came from, but I don't believe it actually happened to me. But they've said, no, I've done so much research into this. I, I, I think it probably is something of a reality. I, I think here. it probably did happen to you or else why would you spontaneously have that recollection? Most people who have abduction experiences don't recall them at all. Some only have flashes of them. And I would also venture to suspect that that's not the only time in your life that that's happened. I would suspect that it's been an ongoing thing over your youth and, and perhaps on a subconscious level, this helped push you into this area because you wanted to know more, you wanted to find out about all this stuff. And being on a spiritual mm. path in a way. Mm. Absolutely. Because I have had a couple of close-up UFO sightings. And one of them, there was a, a craft just maybe 50 yeah. feet off yeah. the ground. It didn't move an inch the whole time I saw it. And it was completely silent. Yeah. And uh, I, and I knew enough about alien abduction to check the clock when I got home to see if there was missing yeah. time. But there wasn't any missing time. There isn't all. So, you know why? Because they can manipulate time. Time doesn't exist yeah. outside of this reality. So, even if you are taken onto a craft and you could be there for days, minutes could have passed here in this reality. Yeah. And it's interesting because people with near death experiences will talk about being away for such a long time, but actually, it was only a few seconds on yeah, Earth. Yeah, exactly. But, but I. I did talk to one guy, a researcher, and he said to me that they might have just been showing themselves to you. They say, you're not going to see a UFO unless they want you to see them. 
and they might have parked their UFO there as a kind of, uh, as he said it, they're slapping you on the ass. They're saying, hey, pay attention. So it's validation for your experience that you had. So, yeah, I was quite certain that you have had, I am quite certain that you've had more than that one experience and seeing UFOs, the times that you've seen them, is a validation for me of that because he's right, they don't show themselves unless there's a reason for it, like, you know, as clear and as long as that, yeah. Yeah, I'd love to see one again, or many of them again. I just don't want to wake up in the middle of the night and find one at the end of the bed. That's the fear thing. Eh? But you can, yeah, very interesting. And and how does this feel now when you're talking about this now? How does it make you feel? I feel quite excited in a way because I've, I've talked to people and I've listened to a lot of interviews, people where it's almost like it starts out, it's terrifying mm. and they're afraid of this. But over the years and the decades of repeated abductions, it's almost like they become friends and they look forward to it. A bit of the Stockholm Syndrome, you reckon. But it's not always abductions. Sometimes I've never been an abductee. I've been an experiencer my entire life. There's a difference. Abductees are people who are taken against their will without their knowledge generally. And they only, you know, might have snippets of memories, but the experiences are usually quite terrifying and quite horrific. And they're usually conducted by species that have little regard to, for humanity. So it's very terrifying. Experiences, on the other hand, the well, initially it may be a bit scary because it's out of our paradigm of reality that we know about you soon realize that there's nothing to fear and that you, you know, you, you have a bond with these beings. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's um, something spiritual to it and it's all kind of connected. It's very connected. I see the connections yeah. with the past life memories for children and near death experiences and then things with ETs and the synchronicities and things that crop up. And uh, it's almost like there's a big jigsaw and we've just got a few of the pieces and we're just getting some idea of what the picture Correct. is. Correct. Oh, Simon, that's, uh, that is so awesome. And I can see that I can see the path that it's leading you down. It's uh, going to be a really interesting time for you coming up. And the fact that you're open enough to talk about it and to share that you actually had that ET experience, that's pretty that, kudos to you because that's hard to do especially when you're a public figure. So I, I want to acknowledge that. And I know that we're in for some very interesting times coming up. And I actually believe that you might come across more and more of this aspect in your work. Yeah, be interesting to see what crops up. Yeah. If people contact me who are potential guests, you know, and they, they have books or they have experiences, so I'm always open to people contacting me. No, no, I meant in your hip, hypnosis work. In, with your clients. Ah, okay. Yeah, no, I meant with, with your clients, yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. And maybe there'd be, be spontaneous things cropping up like that happened with yeah. me. Yeah, very interesting. Oh, look, Simon, it's been awesome talking with you. I've Sorry, we've gone. I'm going to have a fair bit of editing to do to put this in a cohesive, um, you know... <laughs> 
So it flows because yeah. I've gone all over the place and that's my fault and I apologise for that, but you're just so interesting. Thank you so much, Simon. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and I'm I'm sure that, that my listeners will find this conversation as interesting as I have. So thank you very much for your time today over there in England. I appreciate it immensely. That's fine. It's been really enjoyable. It's been great talking to you. I want to thank Simon for his time and interesting conversation that went to places I never anticipated. Past life regressions, spontaneous ones, all with a facilitator like Simon, can have a real impact on our lives here and now, especially if we have brought phobias or issues into this life from a previous existence. In my opinion, unless the past life is causing issues in this one, as in the case of phobias, and except for curiosity, there's really no reason to know about them. Past lives are generally past for a reason. That life has been lived, lessons learned, you should move on. And on the off chance you do have recollections of past lives and people in them, even if you reconnect with a loved one from that existence, it doesn't mean that they should or necessarily do have a part in your life this time around. Different life, different lessons. At least that's my viewpoint from personal experiences with past life loved ones encounters. You, of course, may have a different viewpoint, and that's how it should be. This will be the last episode for this year and for Season 8, a shorter season than normal. 2021 has been an interesting year for sure. I'll be taking a break until the 11th of January next year. The past couple of years of creating this podcast have taught me that very few people tune in for episodes over this time of year, with most off on holidays at the beach, here in New Zealand anyway, or visiting family. So I've decided to have a break. Honestly, I need a rest. It's a lot of work for me doing this podcast, pretty much a full-time job. I absolutely love it though, so I'm not complaining. You all are not forgotten though, and you can always listen to past episodes that you may not have heard. I'll post some suggestions up on social media during the break. Coming up when we return in Season 9, I already have four episodes lined up for you. I'll give you previews of those closer to the time. In the meantime, for those of you who celebrate this season, I wish you all season's greetings. And everyone, please be safe and aware on the roads, at the beach, wherever you travel over this holiday season. And I'll see you all next season. Be safe, everyone, and have a great break. And thank you all for listening to my Walk in the Shadowlands podcast. I really appreciate each and every one of you listeners. Today's bumper music was called Reborn by Music Dog. 
If you enjoy this podcast and have considered becoming a sponsor, now's a great time to join. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash mcc15 and sign up now. As a patron, you get early access to the podcast episodes and a special members only page on the podcast website that has bits and pieces that end up on the digital cutting board and little extras like full, raw, unedited video conversations with my guests, except, of course, for the ones that request privacy and anonymity. EVPs caught during the conversations and so much more. Also, you can download full written transcripts of each episode, and you get my absolute appreciation and gratitude, patreon.com forward slash mcc15, for just the cost of a cup of coffee a month. So you don't miss out on an episode, make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform. This podcast is available on all free podcasting platforms, including iHeartRadio and Pandora as well. Also, if you have Alexa, simply say these four words, Open Walking the Shadowlands, and Alexa will play our latest episode for you. Check out our Facebook page, Walking the Shadowlands, our Instagram feed of the same name, and our Twitter feed, at Shadowlands 10, TikTok, under walking underscore the underscore Shadowlands. Like and follow for teasers of our upcoming episodes. If you don't have a smartphone, then you can listen to the episodes from the podcast website, www.walkingtheshadowlands.com. For those hearing impaired, there's a full written transcript of each episode on the website, so you don't miss out at all. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your workmates about our show. Encourage them to listen and to subscribe also. The more, the merrier. Thank you so much for listening. Today, tonight, whatever time it is, wherever you're living in this beautiful world of ours, I'll see you after the season's break. See you then. Thanks for listening. 